The Money Show. Other people's money. Tonight's other person is none other than the editor of the Financial Mail. He is the author of multiple books, the latest one being Stein Heist, which is the deep dive into the Steinhoff uh, scandal. His name is Rob Rose. Uh, Rob Rose, welcome to The Money Show. One journalist talking to another journalist about money. I think they call that, I don't know, it's not the pot calling the kettle black. It's I don't know, maybe the blind leading the blind. Um, I'm not sure which one it is, really. Evening, Bruce. Um, some could say a recipe for bankruptcy, I suppose, is a good, good place to start. <laughs> yeah, those that can do and those that can't write about it, and both of us do precisely that. Um, talk to me about growing up. Where did Rob Rose grow up? I kind of grew up in Joburg. Um, I went to a, a very strange school, a multiracial school out in the middle of nowhere called Woodmead. It was kind of between Joburg and Pretoria. Um, yeah, so that's what I did. It's a miracle I... I you know, studied further, <laughs> didn't even, given how slack I was at school, but that's, I suppose, were you, a lot were, of us were, like you, were you terrible at school? That's why you had to become a journalist. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, you do what you do when you're a kid to get through, right? I mean, I went and I, I went to Wits and I studied law and I did law for, 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 I did articles for two weeks and decided that was enough time. <laughs> What what so, was it? Yeah. I mean, you endured law school, and then you went and did your articles for two weeks. What was the epiphany that made you realize that this was actually not something that you wanted to do as a lawyer? You've used those skills extensively in your journalism career, but um, the knowledge. But what was it about the law that just didn't appeal? You know, Bruce, I think um, a lot of people go into these, you have very idealistic views of life when you're young, and you think you're going to go out and help people and become a lawyer and you watch too many John Grisham movies and you think that's what I'll be like. And then you, I think the reality strikes you that a lot of careers are are fundamentally dull, especially when you're starting out and you, you know, you essentially, you know, what I would have been doing, I foresaw for years was, was getting debt administration orders against people. It just seemed like a bit of a soul crushing career. So I figured that journalism was a um, more fun. I kind of enjoyed the writing. I enjoyed, I enjoyed parts of it. So I, I figured that it'd be a, faster route for someone who's probably essentially lazy <laughs> get ahead <laughs> talk to me about that choice that decision making because by now in your legal career you may very well have advanced within the corporate field of corporate law you um i, I think that's the the sort of route that you would have gone i don't think you would have gone towards the sort of criminal law um i'm wondering whether or not economically it might not have been a better decision Oh yeah, I mean journalism, Bruce, as you know, is in a is in a pretty awful space. But you know, it does have it does have you know upsides to it. I think that you can you can you've seen what Daily Maverick, you've seen Amma Bangani have done on the Gupta leaks. You've seen various other things, and I think you realise that it can play a positive role in our society. And I think you had a very well, certainly, I think I did, and I'm sure you did as well, a very glorified view of the media's uh, what what it has done in the country during the mm-hmm. Indians of apartheid. So I think that that's quite an attractive thing to see. Um, I mean, I could have, I suppose I could have stuck with law, but, and being an advocate, you know, I see guys, I go to, I cover cases now, and I'm I'm quite in awe of people who stand up and make those kind of arguments in front of people, and I think that'd be quite fun to do. Um, but, you know, those are guys who've been doing it for years and are very good, and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have been to that standard. <laughs> oh, no, of course you would have. Um, was, there, was there money at home growing up? I mean, was money a topic of discussion? Was money a comfortable topic at home? <laughs> Look, I mean, you're a white child growing up in the 80s, right? Um, and so money, there was no there was no money of sorts at our house. We, it was, it was, but I did grow up on a, on a sort of a plot outside Joburg. Um, 
there was not money lying around. I, I didn't, you know, we didn't. We, I went on two holidays when I was growing up. Um, but you know, that obviously is spoken from the vantage point of somebody who was a privileged white South African with the standards were different. Sure. So you might have thought I would not have, you know, I didn't grow up in a wealthy household, but it's all relative compared to you know millions of other people that grew up very very privileged, and that's that's reality. But I didn't. I never thought of my my parents were completely profligate. They would spend money like it was going on about fashion. My mother would plot a thousand things to do with the lottery when she went out on Sundays um, <laughs> and never do that. So that's so it, it creates quite a distorted view of your mm. sense of money. Um, and I think when, after I grew up, after I was studying, I had student loans for which I was uh, essentially uh, blacklisted um, that I had to pay back for years. And I think I had a very skewed idea of money. I knew nothing about it. Um, I mean, Bruce, to... to put you on the spot a bit. I remember one of the many journalism awards you won at the Sunlam, Sunlam uh, Journalism Awards, which is the biggest um, award for financial journalists. You, you gave up, you, you gave a speech about, <laughs> you gave a speech about how when you first applied for a job with Alec Hogg, um, he said, well, what do you know about money? And you said, well, I know absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> it's true, sorry. And he said, yeah, surely, surely you know something. And he, and he, you said, no, no, I really don't. Um, and and I, I think Bruce, I knew I knew a tenth of what you probably did at that stage. I knew absolutely nothing about money when I started as a business journalist. And I think my, my, you, my you first job in my, my first job in financial journalism, I went in and uh, there was, so uh, as they said, any questions from you? And I went, well, this this all share index thing you guys talk about every day. <laughs> what is it exactly? And they looked yeah. at me with a degree of circumspection and um, sort of laughed uncomfortably. And I went off and I got the job. And about three weeks into my tenure, which was about to be cut very, very short, they said, you really don't know anything. And I said, well, that's <laughs> what I told you. I said, yes, but we've never met anybody quite as ignorant as you. And I said, well, I, I didn't lie, did I? And um, so we, we had a, a, a very frank discussion. Um, and uh, that discussion uh, ended with me saying, well, give me another three weeks or another month or whatever it was. And if I don't prove myself during that time, then I, I will go quietly. Um, and then I, I got lucky on a couple of stories, broke a few stories. Um, and whew, thank goodness, <laughs> because it could have all been very, very, very you know, it could all have been very, very different. Yeah, you know, and so many of us know nothing about, you know, a lot of us, a lot of people study in the, you know, do a BCom and study study investments at university, and they obviously go into that career. A lot of other people, like perhaps you and me, come into it by accident through a circuitous route, and you kind of mm. learn on the job. But it's, you know, if you compare the level of financial knowledge you have now to twenty years ago, it's it's streets apart. I mean, no, no, and 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 it's and, and yeah, but it's also it's a failing of our system, and it's a failing of education, and it's a failing of I don't know, just being we are being dragged up the wrong way. Um, you know, we we've got to be teaching, and this is why I do this feature because I'm curious as to what happens in households and how people are brought up to understand money. I I find it interesting that you go off and you go and do law at university, and you end up with a student debt, which hamstrings you. And I mean, generations of young people are hamstrung by student debt, and they take some ages to get out, and it's such a it's such a hindrance to financial progress and to um, your ability to build up assets. That's true, Bruce. But I also think it's what you just mentioned. You're not taught about this at schools. I certainly wasn't. And I think that I had no sense of how to handle money. Um, and my parents obviously didn't have that either. So I, I was completely, I was obtuse about what I should be doing and how I should be managing to pay off the things. You, you get a loan and you think that the loan is the end, the end game, not repaying it. <laughs> 
Um, so I had no I had no sense of how it should work, and I think that that is what did set me back. But it's a learning curve. You learn these things, and you don't make those mistakes again. Well, you hope you don't. You most certainly don't. I mean, your kids are small, but I mean, do you, do, you, do you talk to them about money? Do you give them pocket money? Do you make them do chores for pocket money? Are you tight-fisted and mean? Um, how are you with your own kids when it comes to money? Yes, yeah, super mean. I am. Um, the, the youngest one is five, so he's basically learning now, and he tries to bribe me with game game coins he finds to do certain things. Um, but that hasn't worked yet. So I'm, I, I was amazed, for example, nobody teaches you about the currency rates for tooth fairies, for example. And I found that that was a steep learning curve that nobody really speaks about. You know, is it five rand? Is it 10 rand? Is it 20 rand? So I've tried to get my kids more interested in how money works and what it's made up of. Um, because I, I do think that our schools are a big problem. They don't teach they don't teach the kind of investment stuff that you hear about in very successful people. You know, guys like Warren Buffett who were who were, you know, doing, uh, looking at stocks on the, on the playground. I feel like that's the kind of thing where people can learn about money and what it can do for you when you're young. And I just think it'd be nice to have more people like that who have an awareness of, of how that works. Talking to Rob Rose this evening, editor of the Financial Mail, we've got a, a remarkably similar financial background. In other words, not very <laughs> successful at all. Um, and um, so those who can do and those who can't write about it or talk about it, more with Rob Rose, the editor of the Financial Mail, the author of Stein Heist, one of the finest books written on the crisis um, of white-collar crime in South Africa. He's the editor of the magazine. He's also an author. More with him in a moment. The Money Show. Other people's money. Rob Rose, the editor of the Financial Mail, is our guest this evening. Uh, Rob, so do you invest today? I mean, beyond the company pension fund, are you somebody who actively puts money away for um, a rainy day or for global warming or whatever the trendy thing is to put money away for? Yeah, I like to save. I mean, I have like tax-free investment accounts and um, and things like that, and you know, try to um, try to keep money aside for what I'm sure will be the end of days. <laughs> um, so yeah, you, you know, you try to, but it's you know, it's I, I'm inspired by by your stories of of um, that you tell. For example, that woman was it Shelley who who kept saving um, and then built Julia. a of Julia, Julia, no, yes. I mean, Julia our, our investment guru, we do to catch up with her. We always catch up mm. with her with, in Savings Month because so many of the Savings Month stories that are told are so you're going to live on cat food and suffer and die because you haven't saved enough and it scares the living daylights out of people. And I prefer to inspire people into active growth and opportunity. And I mean, Julia just did very simple things consistently over a period of years. And I can't wait to see what her cash pile is. She's put a, she saved about 2.1 million rand in total and she stopped doing it a couple of years ago because she was taking money offshore and she had bought a house and a car and was having kids and stuff. But what she'd done as a young person had set her up for, for long-term growth uh, courtesy of the power of, of compounding. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the kind of thing that people should aspire to. And it's not as if you have to be born in this position. You can start late, make a few small tweaks, put aside a small amount every month. I mean, that's why I think that innovations like easy equities, where you can invest yeah. in part of shares, for example, is, is, is a really good thing to kind of get people into the into the mode. And I think it, you realize you do learn over time. Um, and I think when you start getting, you see that small little dividend come through, it's tiny now, but the more you can build it's um, the more you become slightly more financially independent. I, I was struck during COVID, Bruce, at how many people had, how many small businesses had less than three months cash. Yeah. I mean, they had they basically were just 
you know, anything goes wrong and they're done. And that, I think, is how a lot of people in this country live, hand to mouth. And it's, it's a very scary phenomenon, especially when we live in such a volatile society. I mean, it's not only the, the, the businesses, but I mean, families, families living from paycheck to paycheck with absolutely no reserve whatsoever. Um, and you say to people, well, you should be saving money. They say, well, I can't save, you know, got to go to Mauritius um, or whatever the case might be a different, you know, different scale of issues. Some people genuinely don't have any money because they, they, they are supporting many, many family members. But there are people who live way beyond their means in the corporate sector, people with high powered jobs earning a million rand a year who just have nothing. Um, who don't have anything saved up, and it is terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. And and Bruce, you know quite well, um, uh, just one lap, Simon Brown and Christian van Hedden, yeah. and I think they talked a lot about how they initially were exactly those kind of people, you know, the holidays in Mauritius, or certainly Christia, and then after a while it was a case of how she realized how things work and became serious about getting her financial life in order, um, and now she's saved and she's, she's far more aware of what things cost or what fees are. Um, you've spoken, for example, of the fees that people charge on investment accounts and just looking at those kind of things, which isn't something you do until you mm. become serious about seeing where your money goes. And I think that's how you make the small changes that ultimately can lead you to a much better place, hopefully. Um, do you spend money on fun stuff? Uh, do you, I mean, uh, let's, let's pretend that um, there's no COVID and there are holidays. Um, you said you, as a kid, went on two holidays. Do you sort of make amends to your own children for that? Would you like to make amends to your own children so that they don't have to sort of um, have the restriction that you grew up under? Do you want to make it better for them or must they suffer the way you did? I would, I would feel better if they suffered, but I'm, I'm probably not that mean. Um, but obviously, you obviously want your children to suffer more. <laughs> to hear how tough you've had. Exactly. Um, why, else, think, why else have them if you can't make them feel exactly. what it was like when you were a kid? Yeah. yeah I've had it much tougher than you ever had. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I do, I do, you know, we do go away once or twice, once or twice a year. Or once a year often. I have relatives down in Port Elizabeth, so we often go there. Um, P.E.'s surprisingly nice sometimes, you know, Bruce? <laughs> it's a lovely, um, no, Kribecha, the greater Kribecha era yeah, is yeah. glorious. It's a bit breezy after nine o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. But other than that, it's a wonderful place. It's, it blows me away every time I go. And I have to, I mean, the thing I have to admit to is I've become quite a, um, quite a hoarder of loyalty miles. Um, e-bucks I've become I've become such a hoarder that for the last couple of years I've spent nothing on it so I've tried to game the system so I get as many rewards as possible so that hopefully one day I can pay for this immense holiday to the moon or back um, on SpaceX um, that's my ultimate plan but even as well on Discovery Bank I've now got a Discovery Bank card and I'm trying I think loyalty programs where you get where you get paid to use products you would anyway for example if you went to Woolworths might as well get paid 30% back for that, you know? Why not? <laughs> hey, your kid's allowed. Um, I wonder where they get that from. Um, you can. It's okay, Rob. We don't <laughs> mind your kids participating. My official French's children nearly killed each other live on the radio once. She put the phone down on us and went to go and separate them. So it happens. Honestly, it does in the work-from-home environment. Um, so you, you, you hoard loyalty points in the hope that one day they'll be worth something and you'll figure out how the schemes actually do work. Um, from, a, from a money perspective, do you have any bad habits? I mean, in a, other than bad personal habits as a journalist, but I mean, do you do you do you sort of have a, a spending habit? Do you go for a gamble once a week? Do you have a poker club? Do you do that kind of thing or not? Yeah, I love poker, but I'm terrible at it, um, as you'd expect. But um, we should in terms, we should of, in terms of yeah, totally. I'm happy to give you money. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pay you in e-bucks if that's okay. But uh, that's really fine. I'll, I'll take it um, in anything. Just send me the money directly and you'll save the trouble of playing the game. I haven't learned it yet. But yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but otherwise, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really say so much. I mean, I've, I, I, I resist the urge to. I don't like buying. For example, I wouldn't buy a new car just in principle. Um, I'm fairly careful about it. I think. Um, but you know, I suppose there are those things that you know. I, I tend to often. I tend to buy coffee, for example, um, once once a day. I certainly was when we were going to the office, and I think that's a that's a habit that adds up, and that's the kind of thing that. That if you're Christian van Heerden, you'll cut out. Um, that's the kind of thing that I suppose I need to I need to look at. Um, but it's I those you, it's you, those small luxuries each and every single day okay. that become the the habits that you feel like you can't live without because if you miss it on you know, day three of the week, you have a lousy day and you blame it on the fact that you skipped your coffee, um, where in fact it's costing you 150 bucks a week and that adds to 600 bucks a month, that adds to 30 grand a year, and you go, hold on a second, I've done what? <laughs> I put that yeah, through exactly. my coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um and uh you know, um unlike other journalists, I drink a bit of alcohol occasionally, so so whiskey no. and whiskey and wine. <laughs> is, what's the is, most is, what's is, is the, the most no. you've what's the most small and skeleton time, what's the most you've ever spent on a bottle of whiskey? Uh, you know, that's it probably would be probably about eight hundred Rand. It's not particularly particularly wild. I need to become more wild on the whiskey. Um uh, my cheapness no, ultimately I, gets me. I'm not too sure that you need to become wild. You just go to Whiskey Live when it starts up again and you get to sample whiskey at other people's, on other people's expense. Um, Rob Rose, yeah. lovely catching up. Nice to chat to you. Um, we do need to go now. The editor of the Financial Mail, the author of a fabulous book called Stein Heist. It's still on the shelves. If you're perplexed by Marcus Huster and don't understand how he got away with what he go, got away with for an awfully long time, Rob's book on it is the best on the subject. Rob Rose, the editor of the Financial Mail, thank you so much for joining us this evening on The Money Show.